The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. This is that time of day where we uh, take a few minutes out of our busyness to draw near to God, to draw near in His presence, and uh, to quietly wait on Him. We're always looking for the Lord to speak to us, to strengthen us, and help us to really walk with Him throughout all of life events, and, and many of us have a lot of life events. And so today we're going to take a deeper dive into the matter of uh, overriding my personal convictions. And we're going to see how a good man, a wise king, found himself in a precarious circumstance where he would actively rebel against God despite his convictions. In our last podcast, we dealt with the matter of convictions, their power, their risk, and uh, so we are, we, we've been brought to the point where we ask the first question, uh, does God respond? Does God respond to us when we have uh, you know, fixed our convictions, really taken the time to uh, mold character according to the dictates of Scripture? And so in the first three verses of chapter uh, 18, uh, we see that King Jehoshaphat was enticed with food. Now, there, there's more to it than that, but essentially Ahab made a feast for him, and he asked uh, Jehoshaphat to join him in the battle uh, against his enemy. So here is a man of God, uh, a believer, joining an apostate, rebellious king in a battle that was not his own. And uh, we find that in verse 3. And you ask yourself, is God committed to responding to us or to this man, a godly man, who allied himself with an idolater? If you were to read through the the, uh, Old Testament, you will find uh, a list of the evils that sprung from this uh, negative spiritual practice of idolatry. And one of the questions that uh, we struggle with uh, in social circles sometimes is, well, which God are you referring to? And I've been asked this question so often when we are uh, in dialogue with with agnostics or those who may uh, share uh, uh, a different religious belief, if you will. What God are you referring to? And I'll address this a little later on in in our uh, podcast. However, living in a pluralistic society begs the question, how do you know which belief system is valid? Some of what I'm going to say today uh, and what I'll share with you is my personal opinion. And I encourage you to 
feel free to form your own opinion. But not only am I sharing this from uh, my, the vantage point of my experience, but we're also going to look at what the scriptures have to say. We know that Ahab is a devotee of Baal. Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, is the devotee of Jehovah, the God of Israel. Now Ahab, as the devotee of Baal, calls upon his prophets and assembles them before uh, King Jehoshaphat to address one question. Should we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead? And essentially, Ahab, through his uh, prophets, is going to issue that prayer. Okay, That's, that is the petition. That's what prayer is. It's a petition. It's a calling on God. And the critical question is, which God has the answer to the outcome of, in this case, a military endeavor. But it is also applicable to us in our society, in this pluralistic society, which God is able to answer. This, is a, this I think, is germane to the issues at hand. Did the prophets of Baal know that Baal cannot answer? Apparently, they were conscious of the fact that they were simply repeating what they wanted the king to hear. And we find that in verse 12. The messengers that went to call Micah spoke to him in a similar manner. They said, Behold, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one assent. Let your words, therefore, be like one of the others and declare good. But Micah replies, as Jehovah lives, even what my God shall say, that will I declare. It is clear from the narrative that the Spirit of God is simply saying that Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a living God. He will give an answer. You ask, where am I going with this? Here is the place that I want to arrive. I believe it is counterproductive to engage in debates about the validity of the Christian faith if, I repeat, if the disciple, the devotee, is living a life of devotion. Why? If a man believes in any God other than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is his or her free will privilege. The critical question is, does God live? And can that God respond to the man who is issuing the petition, the prayer, is this God able to respond and grant petitions? And that is, I'm referring to any God. If a man or woman chooses to believe in a God other than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then the question I would ask is, is your God able to respond and grant the petitions that spring from your life's need? And I believe the answer is no. In fact, I know the answer is no. If the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is God, 
then he alone is able to answer prayer. And not just any prayer, but the prayer, the request, the petition of the disciple who is walking in a manner of life that demonstrates, I am devoted to you. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall come to pass to you. In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and you shall become my disciples. And then he goes on to say, additionally, in the ninth and tenth verse, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you shall keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And then again, in the 16th verse of the same chapter, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have sent you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain or abide. And hear this, that whatsoever you shall ask the Father and in my name, he may give you. And so these verses clearly indicate the fact of a living, vital, dynamic relationship between the disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It would be tantamount to you arguing with someone about the existence of your spouse. Well, why would you spend time seeking to convince them that you are married when, in fact, you will, after work or after that conversation is finished, go home to your spouse and enjoy all the benefits and and the presence of a loved one? And I think it is counterproductive for people to engage in debates about whether or not the God of the Bible is, in fact, God, supreme. If they choose not to believe, that is their privilege. But the one distinguishing factor that validates that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is God is the fact that he and he alone answers prayer. And not only that he answers prayer, but he answers prayer for the one who remains in that sweet fellowship with him, communing with him, engaging in an intimate interaction consistently. And this is not only treasured by the devotee, but it is treasured by God. And he has promised (laughs) that he will Open the windows of heaven to respond. Our Lord Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. That wasn't just for anyone. That was for those who determined and decided to follow him. So let's make a left turn and and, and, uh, talk about (laughs) the red flags of rebellion. (laughs) There are some things we will recognize perhaps in our own lives. We look at this king who turned. So firstly, I would ask the question, who or what is trusted? What are your trusted sources or resources? And so as we return to Jehoshaphat, this king clearly rebelled against his relationship with Jehovah 
and the convictions that he so clearly established. And for example, in verse 4, when he was with Ahab, well, he had enough sense to say, let's inquire of Jehovah today. And so what do they do? They call the prophets of Baal. This was the first indicator that this entire event, this whole military campaign, is fraught with error. And it is contrary to the mind and will of God. And yet, Jehoshaphat remains in the circumstance. And we are like that. From the get-go, we ask, well, maybe we should really endeavor to pray about this. And then the person responds in a way that clearly indicates to us, listen, this is not a good thing because they're not even looking to God for assistance and guidance and help in this matter. But it gets worse. I would ask, well, what are the spiritual sentiments of the people that you and I may have aligned ourselves with? And so Jehoshaphat's second warning came when he asked if there was not a prophet of Jehovah that they might inquire of him. So essentially, we want a direct connection to God. This is what he's saying. Well, can we get a, like a specific answer from Jehovah about this? Now, here's the red flag. <laughs> and he answered, Truthfully, there is one man that we may inquire of Jehovah, but I hate him. I hate him. Clearly, Ahab is not in fellowship with Jehovah. Why? Because he hates the very man that becomes the physical representation of the invisible God on the earth as his mouthpiece. The very one uh, through whom God will speak. He hates that man. And so Jehoshaphat should have realized by this point, this is a mistake. And yet... He remains in the circumstance and deepens his rebellion because God has given him clear evidence that Ahab is not a good man. He's an evil man. And so Jehoshaphat's position is weakening as the minutes pass. Here's the third red flag. His reaction to wise counsel. Jehoshaphat's third opportunity came in the 14th to the 17th verse when Micah said to him, that is to Ahab, uh, uh, in answer to his request, whether or not they should go against Ramoth Gilead. And Micah says, go against Ramoth Gilead and you will prosper. <laughs> he was being facetious, a little bit of sarcasm. He's like, go ahead, <laughs> you're going to have a successful campaign. Then Ahab challenged him to tell the truth in the name of Jehovah. And Micah said, quote, And I saw all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Jehovah said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. This was a clear indicator that one of the leaders are going to die today. And it's at this point that Jehoshaphat should have realized that this high-risk venture is going to end badly. He would know from the scriptures that as he studied the life of David 
and the forefathers that if Jehovah had spoken and made a declaration through a prophet, it will surely come to pass. This king now found himself etched in a commitment, in an endeavor that will fail. And what does he do? Nothing. He does nothing. Lastly, the word of Jehovah from the very throne room. I think this is the saddest testimony of all points. Micah told him, that is, Ahab, in the presence of Jehoshaphat, that what he is about to say comes from the throne of God, and this is a revelation of God's mind towards Ahab. And this is a witness to Jehoshaphat about God's mind towards the man that he aligned himself with in battle and in marriage. And this matter could not be clearer in that Jehovah has made a decision. The God of heaven, the living God, is now answering Jehoshaphat's request as to what is the mind of God. And we will see what his response was. Verse 19. Ahab was going to be enticed so that he may fall in the battle at Ramoth Gilead. Moreover, the God of heaven declares that this is not going to succeed. No, for both men this is a moral dilemma because if they believe that Jehovah is God, they will heed the warning. But if they disregard all that they know of Jehovah, then they will fall, perhaps both of them. If not in death, then certainly be in grave danger of dying. This was not only uh, was not the only circumstance, I should say, of this kind where people or disciples are given opportunities to make clear and distinct decisions to walk with God. My friends, this is the challenge that we face in a pluralistic society in that we must make a, a, a final decision. I'm going to walk with God. It has to be firm. It has to be an immovable commitment by life and by lip. It is more than just trying to convince people of the rightness of our position, of our faith. We know from the scriptures and the testimony and witness of the Spirit of God in our lives that we've chosen life. We've chosen eternal life. And this is not something we debate with people. This is a call that we respond to. And in living our lives For the glory of God, we shine as lights in a dark place. And men might challenge us and ask us about our hope, which is fine. But we do ourselves a disservice by seeking to have a witness more by lip than by life. And then because of our frail commitment and and minuscule convictions 
Our life betrays our paltry commitment to God as well as the witness of our lips. In 1 Kings 18, 15 to about the 38th verse, we learn about Elijah and his challenge to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And so in challenging the northern tribes um, uh, concerning their allegiance to Baal versus Jehovah, Elijah asked them in verse 21, how, do, how long do you halt between two opinions? If Jehovah be God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. But the scripture says the people answered not a word. They never said a word. He essentially said, well, tell me, who's God? And they weren't going to engage in that conversation. But Elijah was challenging the people to choose, to decide what they really believe. And this is my firm conviction as well. Tell people, choose. You, you choose. You determine who you believe is the living God. And choose. Choose by your life. If you believe that, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is God, then live it. But what Elijah is about to do, I believe, is an effective method in challenging people concerning their beliefs. And, and let's look at what he did. For example, Elijah gave the people a challenge. And we find it, in, again, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, the 23rd and 24th verse, when he said, Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks, and let them choose one for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and put it on the wood, and put new fire, <laughs> and I will sacrifice the other bullock, and put it on the wood, and put no fire, and call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Jehovah. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Essentially, he says, whichever God answers, let him be God. And you will find, as you speak with many people concerning the faith, that they will say, I don't believe in your God. Now, men are coming to the place where they say, I don't believe in any God. But for those that do believe in, in a God, is that God a living God? And for those that believe in themselves, they are powerless to help themselves. Powerless. And so this challenge holds the key to our dealings with men. Because the efficacy of answered prayer speaks volumes about our belief's validity. And if a man is living in communion with God, that is, I believe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he that has this person having this belief in the living God has the absolute assurance that our God is willing and able to answer prayer. That is the evidence, the truth of the power of that person's life. But in the anatomy of rebellion, many of us are callous in our walk with God, and hence we find that we have no influence with God with respect to our petitions. And so, we prefer to debate and win arguments with people rather than convince them about the validity and the efficacy of our life, just as Daniel did. Daniel was who he was because of Daniel's life. 
and his prayer life was but the expression of his devotion and love for Jehovah. And when we examine Daniel's life, we ask ourselves, well, why was he successful? And we find in the beginning of his life, as well as at the end of his life, the one item, the one practice that distinguished him from the men of his time was his walk with God, his communion with God. And many emphasize, for example, witnessing for our Lord Jesus Christ, which is important, or studying the scriptures, which we are commanded to do, to show ourselves a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. These are vital and noteworthy practices. But the most important, the greatest influence in a decaying, chaotic cosmos, in a decaying society, is not so much what I say or my knowledge of the scriptures, but the quality and cleanliness and holiness of my life, as Peter stated clearly in the third chapter of his first letter when he says in verse 14, But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, blessed are you. Be not afraid of their fear, neither be troubled, but sanctify, that is, set apart as holy, the Lord, the Christ in your heart, and be always prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, but with meekness and fear. And so when agnostics see the Christians suffering with patience and behaving in a manner that brings glory to God, this conduct generates questions. Why? Because this conduct is deemed to be extraordinary and not commonplace among men. And so Peter went on to say in the second chapter of the same letter, verses 21 to 23, for to this, hear me, <laughs> To this you have been called, for Christ also has suffered for you, leaving you a model that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when reviled, reviled not again, when suffering, threatened not, but gave himself over into the hands of him who judges righteously. Jehoshaphat knew that if he turned and adhered to the word of God, avoiding rebellion, it would cost him, perhaps, by losing face before King Ahab, and maybe even inciting his displeasure as his father-in-law, given that King Ahab showered on him food and accolades. And so often, this is what marks our life. When we, when we reveal the choice to leave the glory of God, his presence, his fellowship, rather to uh, uh, accept feeling the sting of people's tongues. We choose rather to please men and put our walk with God at risk. And this is the choice. My friends, the anatomy of rebellion is best summarized this way. The hour of choice will pit my love for men against my love for God, and whichever is greater is the one we will support and adhere to. We are making a value judgment, and this judgment reveals volumes about our character. In essence, we see ourselves from the core. 
My friends, your life is your evidence. When we look at Jehoshaphat, we have a man of upstanding character who violated his core convictions. And the obvious question is, <laughs> are there consequences for moving in a direction away from God and violating core convictions, causing us to behave in a manner that just simply assaults all that we believe about God? I ask you, is it worth jeopardizing my relationship with God to please people based on ungodly or contrary standards? You know, when we look at Jehoshaphat, he was industrious. He built and fortified the cities. He protected the people from political, militaristic, social, and spiritual ills that was detrimental to Israeli society at that point in time. You couldn't ask a man to invest more of himself than Jehoshaphat did. We have also the testimony of the Spirit of God that he walked in the ways of David, in the first ways of David, his father. He identified the behaviors, the devotion, the manner of life that pleased God, and he set himself to live this way. He had his, as his focus the vital, healthy, spiritual relationship with Jehovah, the God of Israel. He was on point. He even identified key leaders who would propagate the, 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 the practice and adherence to the law. And this was for the good of the societies within Judah and Benjamin. And not only that, it aligned perfectly with, with, with the guidelines in Deuteronomy that Moses gave to the nation before they entered into the promised land. And what did he do with this? In one stroke, one decision, he violated his core principles because he thought he was immune from the influence of idol worship and the social ills that pervaded societies within the Israeli domain. He allied himself with the very man who represents the very evils he fought against in his own kingdom. And the very evils that Jehovah stated by the mouth of Moses that there would be severe repercussions for going on the path of idolatry. You know what it comes down to? Rank unbelief. He just didn't believe it applied to him. And many of us make that mistake. We are walking with God. We have a healthy relationship with God. But because we simply don't believe what we're reading in the scriptures about what the Spirit of God is revealing about the nature of God, we end up making foolish decisions. Not only that, he married the daughter of Ahab, God's enemy. He had Solomon as his example, who married Pharaoh's daughter and married many women who worshipped false gods. And that was his undoing. His intent was to make this threat less, I believe, less of a factor in his life and leadership by attempting to win it over. He thought he could win Ahab by marginalizing, that is, Jehoshaphat, marginalizing Jehoshaphat's personal convictions, and making himself more palatable to this evil man. And that is exactly what we do in our culture today. We water down our beliefs. We water down our convictions. We water down the, the holiness of our lives. We compromise wherever we could until we, at the end, we don't even look like what a Christian should look like. 
You cannot win what is evil. Evil must be resisted and protected from. And if uh, someone, male or female, finds your values to be the antithesis of their beliefs, they will never be in union with you. There will be no commonality. There will be no coming together between light and darkness. He made Ahab's enemies his enemies, and he made Jehovah's enemies his friends. And Jehovah hated what Ahab did to the northern kingdom, and it would result in grave consequences as a result. And this godly man, Jehoshaphat, made this evil man, Ahab, his father-in-law, <laughs> only to get the sentence of wrath upon him when this war was over. He witnessed, and this is so sad, but he witnessed firsthand Ahab's hatred for the man of God, Micah. And he saw how dishonorable Micah was treated when he proclaimed the word of Jehovah. And Jehoshaphat heard the word of Jehovah and he disregarded it because he curried the favor of this evil man more than the favor of God. And lastly, Jehoshaphat saw them assault Micah, the prophet of Jehovah, and falsely incarcerate him because he spoke the word of truth concerning Ahab's ultimate fall. One would have thought that at this point he would have, had en have said enough already, but he remained silent in the face of wrongdoing. Isn't that like so many of us? We are silent and we see the wrongdoing. He compromised his convictions to the full extent. And now he was powerless to stand against evil because he compromised his values and aligned himself with evil men to the point where it nullified his witness. Yeah, that light was not shining bright anymore. This is the downfall, the very act of rebellion that so many of us are guilty of. We started out well by maintaining a solid, Christian, biblically sound convictions in life, practice, and lip. And when God, enlar when God enlarged us and blessed us, we became haughty and believe that we are better able to mitigate the effects of evil by aligning ourselves with people who don't even share our convictions about scripture, about eternal life, about walking with God, about the necessity, especially in our culture today, of a holy life and living in the fear of God. You know, people ask the obvious question, how do I know that I've compromised my convictions? These Christians have asked me this in you know, one way, shape, or form. And let's look at Jehoshaphat's life. As I said before, is there anyone in, in your life that you would be ashamed to look them in the eye and tell them, what you are doing is wrong? It is considered immoral in the sight of God. Would you lose their friendship? Would they look at you and and, and uh, see you in disfavor? Would they defend their behavior and justify it uh, as King Ahab did? Or would they demonstrate disdain or disapproval for biblical mandates for a holy living? 
Would you lose your friendship with them if you took a stand? In fact, I'll go further. Are there circumstances that you knew clearly this is wrong, but you, you remained silent? Yet your conscience spoke loudly and the presence and witness of the Spirit of God spoke against your actions or your inaction. And if there are circumstances of this sort, my friends, it behooves you, it behooves any of us to address them immediately because there is a greater consequence yet coming. Jehoshaphat went into battle to fight the war. The enemy of God's enemy. And Jehoshaphat essentially pitted himself against Jehovah foolishly. And what happened? Well, we are told in, in, in chapter 18, verse 31, and it came to pass when the captains of the Syrian army uh, of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, this is the king of Israel. And they surrounded him to fight. And Jehovah cried out. And Jehovah helped him. I'm sorry, Jehoshaphat cried out, and, Je and Jehovah helped him, and God diverted them from him. And so we learned, in conclusion, two things about God that is necessary when we think about the, 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 the whole concept of, of, of uh, rebellion. You know, what is rebellion? <laughs> and what we learned about the nature of God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is that he will respond to compromise. Why? Because God is holy. God is holy. And he allowed this king, King Jehoshaphat, to find himself in a circumstance that could have cost him his life. And many of us are allowed of God to be in situations that put us in jeopardy. And we are compelled to cry out to God to help us. And this should be clear evidence to us that he really, that is God, did not deal with us according to what we truly deserved. But having recognized this, we needed to respond in deep repentance and a turning away from the position and the circumstance we have found ourselves in, whether it be to end a relationship that we know is immoral we have certain practices, uh, whether in, in terms of what we are consuming, whether for entertainment or within our bodies, the list goes on, or attitudes of the spirit. This should be clear evidence that God has not dealt with us as we deserved. And we need to come before God and own the fact that I've sinned, we've sinned against God, disregarded his holiness disregarded the boundaries, transgressed his boundaries, offended his holiness, committed sacrilege in defiling his temple. And the second attribute that stands out in this uh, narrative about this man's life is that God is a God of compassion. How so? This man, Jehoshaphat, began in a stellar fashion, but ran out of steam and found himself compromised. Yet, God heard his cry and delivered him in the thick of battle. And so for many of us, this has been the case that God has been merciful, merciful to us and dealt mercifully with us, still hearing our petition, 
when we cry to him. And we ought to be thankful from the core of our beings that God has not dealt with us according to our wrongdoings. And so, my friends, as we think of our walk with God beside still waters, let us sensitize our hearts to his presence and examine our lives so that we may identify if there, are there any things, is there anything in our life that we have that, that, that is an offense to God, that, that has gone beyond the mark that he set for us? And if so, let us simply repent and ask the Lord to renew our hearts, to renew our devotions, to set it right, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, so that we may maintain open and sweet fellowship with the God of heaven. May God help us to do so for the glory and pleasure of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.